This week on The Native Immigrants, we talk about food. Is it being culturally appropriated, or is it just fusion? The Native Immigrants are in the building. Hit the music. Salutations and welcome to another episode of the Native Immigrants. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo B? Hello. So there was a big celebration last week. It was. For one of us. This past week. Yeah. This past week. Uh, A little bit more of a subdued celebration, I guess, than, than previous years. But a celebration nonetheless, one yeah. very much look, looking forward to for yes. a long time. It was a big birthday. Oh, yeah. It was the big three seven. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was your birthday. Oh, sorry. I gave it away again, didn't I? Yeah, you did. <laughs> I was going to build it all up and say <laughs> Liverpool won the premiership, which was the big celebration this week. But once again, Jojo B has Not- done... A Jojo B. Nothing is ever allowed to be about me. I've noticed this about my life. No one ever lets anything be about me. We cut my cake Mm. on a WhatsApp call with my my parents, some of your parents. Yep. And you know what? No one gave a shit about the the cake cutting. I thought, you know what? You can't. They can't be there. We haven't spent any time. I haven't seen my parents for six months. Yeah. Let's. Uh, yeah. I speak to them on the phone, but you know, I haven't seen them. So let's do this cake cutting all together. We, you know, we had Bubs and his little high tail ready. He's all excited. You know, there's a cake in front of him. Ooh, we're gonna do this. And then uh, parents and in laws just start talking to each other, and you know, like. About like, you know, but it was the most like, like the most boring conversation, conversation on yeah. earth, and even they were bored. But they were having this kind of like conversation because they had to talk to each other, yeah. and it was just like I mean they get on, but they're fundamentally very different types of people. Yep. And like, oh my god, I was just like, yeah. So me and you just started having our own conversation yeah, in the background. Just, and you, the thing is, you were gesturing to me like, talk, man, say something, talk up, say something. I was, I was like, how am I supposed to cut in with, with mum saying, oh, it's so sad what's happening right now. And, and you know, just like, like, it's supposed to be a celebration, it's supposed to be my birthday, but you know what, fuck Jyoti as usual, yeah. because she doesn't matter. Let's just talk about, you know, the depression of the world instead of just trying to let her be happy for once in her life. Yeah. No, no. Made it all about themselves. Do you want these are the same people that told me when I got married that my wedding was not about me? Yeah, it's the same thing. So I was like, you know what? Screw you all. I'm gonna cut my cake and I'm gonna eat cake. And so that's what I did. You had your cake and ate it too. I did. I did. And can I just say that I had lost a whole one stone before my birthday? Big up yourself, Jojo B. With the loveliest of ladies that has helped me all the way through lovely ush push with ush yes she has been pushing me and i had done it i lost a stone still much more to go but my plan had been to lose a stone by my birthday and i did it and then i put it all back on with cake Cake and cheese board i mean it was the and pizza how many different evils can you compact in one like (laughs) weekend's worth of of gorging um yeah it was 
pretty much all the worst uh, foods consumed over the course of like two, three days uh, for birthday weekend for Judge B. But come on, bruv, the real celebration. No, no, it's about me. I don't care. Liverpool have won the Premier League. Oh my God. Like, I'm, t- I'm telling you people, when I say, yeah, people say like 30 years and 30 years of hurt. Mans has been hurting for 30 years of my life. You've been hurting for 37 years. Uh, it's, it is a long time. Um, but I have been in pain for so many years. And to see it culminate this year with people thinking it's going to be null and void and it wasn't going to happen and blah, blah. And then the fact that it finally happened, I'm honestly like cloud nine right now. Because it's one of those things we just never thought would happen because of how close we've got previously. And to see it finally happen, coronavirus ain't got shit on us, bruv. We made it happen. Premier League champions. I'm rolling my eyes because we were talking about my birthday and obviously it got overshadowed once again. It didn't get overshadowed. We celebrated. Everyone, everyone just, you know what it is. And I'll just go in a corner and I'll rock backwards and forwards and saying happy birthday to myself. And you know what? <laughs> and you know, and everyone can just forget that I exist because everyone does. My son wouldn't even give me a hug that day. He just he kept trying to hit me. So do you know what? I know. I know what this is. I've yeah. had it for 37 years of my life. Yeah. And so. Look at this you know fucking what? like misery you know what? guts. Just, yeah, honestly. I just, you know what I did with half the cake? Because I was like, oh, she's going to tell me off. I put half of it in the freezer. Mm. What I'm going to do is defrost it and eat the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Happy birthday, me. Wow. Look at this. Unbelievable. I was in a um, really good mood. And then you reminded me about how much everyone hates me. Excuse me. Who's the one who said like, oh my God, my parents and your parents and my parents and your parents. I was going to say, you know, it's a lovely day. We're all here in health and happiness around the oh, people really that you subdued love. subdued birthday. It's so subdued. No, I said it was it's subdued. Really no, no, no. Subdued, 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 subdued. It yeah. was shit. No. You, you know why? Because you fucked up my fucking joke. That's what happened there. I said it was a subdued <laughs> celebration because I was talking about Liverpool and the fact that I couldn't go ham on it. You couldn't even talk but about you your wife's birthday. Happy birthday, Jojo B. No one cares. Move on. Um, okay, well, moving on swiftly then. <laughs> um, me and Lucifer had a great show last week. Um, thank you so much to everyone that listened. Our Pride special... Last week's show is our second most listened to show ever. You and Lucifer. I mean, it's late in the day, bruv, but. You and the devil? You, you stupid swine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know it's late on that and I know we're, we're struggling. What happens when we, when we record late? But no, that makes no sense. I'm not a devil. Oh, God. Anyway... Our pride special, <laughs> our second most listened to show. Are you gonna are you gonna pour misery on this one? Well, fuck no. it, fuck it. Who fucking cares? Who fucking cares? We've got so many no, listeners. No, that's on it. amazing. It. You know that's I mean? amazing, and I'm so glad because we had the best guests. We had just like a lovely, lovely pair. Yeah, absolutely. And... Shout out to the what? Shout out to the you don't love me boys. What a lovely pair! What a lovely jovely pair! <laughs> Oh my god! I lost it. Just carry on without me. Yeah, I honestly, should. Um, I'm, you know, major salutes to the you that love me boys. They clearly brought in the audience. They just um, such a lovely pair. <laughs> they're a lovely couple um, with a lovely podcast of their own. 
And the What the fuck is wrong with you? I thought you were going to say with a lovely pair of them. Why, why the... F- One of us here has to be professional and keep this show going. God forbid that that's me, but unfortunately it's going to have to be me this week. Um, and and um, and keep this thing going in a, in a professional way. Um, shout to the You Don't Love Me Boys. Thank, Thank you, you so very much, much. Um, for joining us last week on our Pride special. A really important and significant show. Something that we, <laughs> we both was. feel very strongly about. We do. I was, can, I, can I just say, and you'll probably kill me and roll your eyes at me for saying this. But I'm I was, already doing it. I was not very articulate on that show and I apologise now for that because mm. um, I don't know why. So um, I apologize. Too much cake, obviously, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, or the impending uh, doom of turning 37, I think, uh, got maybe, to the worst of you. Maybe. Um, but it was a really... That, uh, yes, it's very important to us. We do it every year now. And I, I really look forward to doing that show, the Pride special every year now. Mm. It's... Why are you looking at me like that? For? It's because I think you're going to do it again. You're going to do it this week as well. <laughs> I just be really inarticulate. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay, I'll stop now. Thank you. All right. And old age is getting to you, fam. But, you know, we've, you've still got some years left. To I always say this to you. You just got to know when to stop speaking. I know when let, to... I and let your point be made. Yeah, exactly. Or, or not to talk over me <laughs> when I'm trying to talk. That, that's something from show one to show 50, whatever it is now, 59 uh hasn't changed um but yeah our second most listened to show ever thank you so much to everyone that tuned in and listened um we're hugely grateful for um all the support you know we've been questioning whether to carry on with this show literally after every show and um hopefully that reaffirms that there is still an audience of people that want to listen to what we are about and the things that we discuss uh so yeah please continue to listen please continue to subscribe please continue to like and comment on all our posts and also something that i always strive to ask in the first season and i've completely forgot to do it since then Mm. is ask people for ratings and reviews on itunes yes honest rates and honest reviews honest rates rates or rates ratings yes absolutely we want honesty we want people to tell us what we're doing right and if the things that we're doing wrong um but just talk to us be honest with us Uh, have we got any new reviews and as a matter of fact we have a new review on itunes it's been a long time coming I think purely because we haven't really asked for one. And so people just think, okay, they're, they're okay. They don't need us. Uh, but we do need you and we need your love and support because that, that's what gets us heard. And that's what gets us like, you know, algorithmed up on this shit. Um, but I want to big up Priya's mum. Do you know which Priya? I have absolutely no idea. She's um, We know a number of Priyas. Yeah, but it could be... Any Priya in the whole world. Okay, well. But that Priya's mum has thanks. written us a glowing review on iTunes. She's written brilliant podcast. I've just discovered this and I'm really enjoying it. The chemistry between you two and the way you deal with serious issues, while at the same time being so funny, makes for the perfect combination. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much, Priya's mum. Uh, and thank you so much to everyone that's given us uh, a rating and a review on iTunes. Please, please, please continue to do so please continue to rate please continue to review every review will be mentioned on this show so you'll hear yourself uh on 
the greatest podcast in the world, which is always a, a massive plus. Um, so yeah, please continue to do so. Please continue to listen and um, support. Please. Yes. So what's been happening, I guess, this week? Well, Leicester is going through a little bit of a turmoil phase. God, what a fuckery that is. Yeah. So Leicester's on lockdown. Mm. And the schools are closing. Yes. And basically they're going back to square one. Yes. Um, it's citywide. Um, and it's because their infection rate is three times higher than the next city to them. Mm. So who knows what's been going on in Leicester yeah. and why it's it's gone crazy like that. Um but they're on lockdown. And I think there are a few cities and probably London boroughs as well that are not far behind. Yeah, exactly. I've heard that our, our local, Harrow, mm -hmm. is uh, is on that list of high infection rates. As is Ealing as well. Brent. Um, so, okay, let's just let's just put it out there. You know, we're, we're discussing this uh, in the basis and, and obviously with the aforementioned um, other areas that we've just spoken about there as well. Mm -hmm. um, is it just a coincidence that these are all heavily populated Asian areas? Toe the line. I mean, I really want to say, oh no, it's got nothing to do with that, but it probably has got everything to do with that. Uh, so, everything may be big, but I do. Something. There is, there, uh, there is a, a factor for sure. Yeah. Uh, with that. And, you know, it, it's scary because it, we are known to be hit. The South Asian community is known to be hit by mm. uh, Corona the worst. Yeah, yeah. And um, that is a scary thought when all of these places are heavily populated with Asian people. Mm. Um, we need to listen to the advice. Yes. I know it's confusing advice. Listen to the medical professions. Stay at home. Yeah. Socially distance. Wear a mask. All of those things. Um, wash your hands. Yes. That's been said from the start. Keep doing it. But just try not to go to crowded areas. Like the pubs and things are going to be opening this weekend everywhere. Hmm. Um, be sensible. Yeah. Don't rush to Westfield. You don't really need to buy another pair of shoes that desperately. Yeah. You know? Um, Especially when you shouldn't really be going anywhere that often. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, where are you going to wear them anyway? Like, just stay calm i know that it's it's that moment of like freedom and you just go running yeah, you know? yeah, yeah but i think we all just need to understand that nothing and i keep saying this to everybody because everyone keeps telling me that oh yeah let's let's just start socializing and doing things i'm like literally nothing has changed yeah. there is no treatment whatever treatment there was has been bought up by america exactly. so there is no treatment that is available to us there is no vaccine nothing has changed there is no zero rate of infection in this country. Mm. So we all need to be very, very careful. Yeah. And I suffer from anxiety. I'm a worrier. I will not be putting my little family mm -hmm. in any danger. You will not be going to anywhere crazy. Mm -hmm. my, our son, our little bubs, will not be going to nursery. Yep. And um, we'll be staying safe as much as possible. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, th I think now with... The potential of another spike happening, you know, fairly soon. Hopefully, not fingers crossed. Uh, we just have to, yeah, remain vigilant at all times. Uh, I know stay safe was a guideline, but we still need to retain that 
a mentality, I guess, you know, which is, the, you know, the big thing for me, especially with our community. One of mm. our first shows of season three was talking about how, you know, the elders in our community are still going out and about and 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 congregating and going around to people's houses and all this kind of thing. Um, I don't feel much has changed on the whole as a generalization. A lot of vulnerable people still going out and about, um, still socializing over the course of the last two months. Uh, and I don't know whether that's had an effect. Also, obviously, we talk about the fact that Asian households and normally, uh, well, normally, you know, some basically have the whole family living in within the confines of one house. And, and yeah, so, and, and sometimes quite small houses as well. Exactly. So, you know, there's not much room to to avoid each other or stay distant when if, exactly. if needed. And plus, a lot, you know, a lot of our communities are also key workers and people that also work on the front line. And, yeah. and so there, there's so many different factors when you've got to consider this, you know, the, the areas that are, you know, heavily at risk. Uh, but I, I like to think that, you know, we're coming to some kind of, you know, impasse at some point. You know, it's going to have to come to a point where we will have to readdress how society works and how, you know, we socialize as a whole. Um, and hopefully that's kind of sooner rather than later, because, you know, as as great as it is, you know, spending all this time with the family, you know, we do need to see our family and spend time with our family and we do but we also need to keep them safe and it's been shown that you know in general the british public are not taking it seriously enough we've Mm. seen those pictures of the beaches in bournemouth i've got sent stuff of beaches in newcastle where because we had a sunny weekend people just went mad and they were all crowded and packed in together they're starting fights you know that kind of stuff like we have to we have to be sensible. And if it's not possible to be sensible, for people to be sensible, then I think that maybe the law needs to be enforced and we need to be put in lockdown again. I almost feel like we're, yeah, I almost feel like we're past that. You know, Bournemouth beaches and those images there. I'm a Liverpool fan. Um, I, I condemned the actions of our supporters in the celebration night and the next day uh, around Anfield in Liverpool. It, you know, was really wasn't called for um some of those scenes that we saw and yeah you know you've you've got to call a spade a spade and and say when something's wrong and that completely was um and that's come across the whole of the uk there's been scenes of mass congregation and people not really adhering to this it's now one meter social distance amongst Which each nonsense. other and stuff. One meter won't do anything. They're doing that so that obviously the economy needs to get going. Yeah. And that's why they're allowing that. But that will not keep you safe. One meter will not keep you safe. Mm. They said two meters was an absolute minimum. Yeah, yeah. Ideally, it would have been six meters, I think it was. That's the, that's how far you should be from someone. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and, you know, medical professionals are saying it's crazy that we're lifting up all of these restrictions so quickly on a weekend. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just doesn't make sense. And unfortunately, the British public can't be trusted to use common sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because they proved that they can't. <laughs> or a chunk of them can't, not everyone. Yeah. But a chunk of them cannot. And they are desperate to go and lie on a fucking beach. It's just not necessary. Go for your daily walk. Mm-hmm. Come back home. Stay safe and live with the fact that for one fucking summer season, you will not have a tan, a natural tan. (laughs) You will not be getting sunburned. Buy a 
bottle of tan <laughs> yeah. and and just deal with it it's not that difficult it's not that much of a hardship for most people i know some people are going through some difficult times and it's difficult for them to stay at home and inside yeah. but from for a, a large chunk of people that is not the case yeah exactly and so if it's possible for you to be at home and to be safe then do that yeah and keep others safe by yeah, doing that exactly exactly um so global pandemic and crisis aside, something to look forward to at the end of this month, I know for me personally, The Real McCoy is going to be on BBC iPlayer for the first time. That's that comedy sketch show from, was it the late 80s, early 90s? That's that comedy. What the hell is wrong with you? The Real McCoy was a landmark comedy sketch show. As in, this was way ahead of its time. The first one of its kind here in the UK. I was very little. I wasn't allowed to watch. It was on late. It was on like 10 o'clock or something. And I was like mm. tiny and I wasn't allowed to stay up and watch it. Yeah. I have vague recollection of it. Yeah. I do remember hearing that they were like lost tapes that had been like burnt or something. This is what this is exactly what I and many people uh, have questioned almost today uh, on, on social media talking about it because the... In the general consensus was that the tapes were gone and you know i don't know must be on the back of someone's garage somewhere or what or destroyed or what but somehow they've resurfaced uh just in time obviously with mm. the black lives matter movement happening as well at the same time so resurfaced. so they didn't want to show it before mm. and now because it's a hot topic and they need to seem diverse mm. even though they haven't been we found them yeah convenient yeah ever so slightly uh but yeah real mccoy a great landmark show it was the first real sketch show for well that had black comedians and asian comedians going to get and mira sile were part of the ensemble cast really uh, yeah and so yeah it's just, it's just an amazing thing to see i hadn't seen any episodes of real mccoy for at least 20 years so it'll just give me a great opportunity to relive some great memories from watching those shows back in the 90s. Because it was almost like the precursor for the Asian side for Goodness Gracious Me and, and Kumar's at 42 and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and so, uh, and there hasn't really been anything like it ever since. In terms no. of a, a sketch show with black comedians and Asian comedians, what have we seen like since then? No, I can't think of anything. I think it'd be really interesting to see the subject matter as well. Yeah, definitely. Like what was being spoken about then? Mm. How, much how much has, has changed? changed? Yeah, if anything as well. Yeah, it will be very, very interesting. Mm. Bring it on. Yeah, no, very much looking forward to it. I think it's the end of this month. I think it'll be 28th or 29th of July. So make sure you um, go onto iPlayer and uh, watch those shows. Yeah, watch the hell out of it. Then they can commission some new shit. Yes, exactly. Um, but something happening on the 13th to the 26th of July of this month is an online festival of South Asian arts and culture. Mm. And it's called An Indian Summer. And it's primarily been a Leicester-based uh, festival um, where they just champion Indian culture um, since 2011, which was their inception. And obviously this year, it can't be a massive outdoor thing. Especially not in Leicester. Especially not in Leicester, for sure. Um, so it's a, a number of online events that are going to be occurring over a couple of weeks in July. Oh, wow. And so they'll have uh, things like um, an Indian classical music, a listener's guide, 
There's um, some performance showcases from a number of artists. There's some talks. I think one is by SAS uh, called Brown Women Talk, and it's about resilience. Um, there's also going to be um, tutorials on sari tying. Always handy. Yeah. I still need you to help me hold my pleats. Exactly. Not this year, obviously, because there's hardly anything for a wedding season. I can um, dress up for you. <laughs> Okay, yeah. be the proper Savitri that you should have been, which is what my <laughs> mum and dad hoped would happen when I got married. Um, there's an interview with Nish Kumar. There's some cooking tutorials. They've also got a sofa cinema with Bended Light Beckham. So you can sit from the comfort of your own home and watch a classic of British Asian cinema. Nice. And yeah, just a number of different events. Um, go on to indiansummer.org.uk to find out all the different events that are going to be happening from the 13th to the 26th of July. And yeah, support it, you know. Is it free? Um, I'm assuming so, because it's online. Okay. Do people charge for online shit? Sometimes. What? Yeah, it depends. Okay. I'd like to hope that it's free, um, because it's, if, if you're going to market something to Asians, how are you going to expect them to pay for it? I know. I just realized how Asian I was by asking that as well. This is what I'm saying. Is it free though, Bled? <laughs> Do we have to pay though, Bled? Um, yeah. If you have to pay, pay, support. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yes, exactly. So let's get back to the agenda. Support your local communities, support your local uh, community events. The Brown Pound. The Brown Pound is very important right now. Um, so if it is a paid festival, I suggest you go out and pay. Uh, and if it's not, even better, you get that stuff from Muffet. For free then make a donation to a charity yeah, of your choice of your choice yeah um but yeah I, I kind of you know since alchemy's gone which was the great uh london-based festival oh, um celebrating it. asian south asian culture i miss um, it so I there is a real absolutely food food events performances talks it was just yeah amazing and yeah like like everything they're trying to you know, reduce diversity amongst the, you know, London events. Whitewashing. Uh, so, um, so unfortunately, that's uh, null and void. Um, but yeah, with, with Indian summer being in Leicester, hopefully going forward, when we get back to having mass outdoor events and, you know, congregations of people that they'll look to bring these things back. It's going to be weird, isn't it? I'm going to be like, don't touch me. I was already like that <laughs> when I used to go gigs and stuff. I used to get freaked out by people kind of being near me. So this lockdown must be right worse. up your street fan. Oh my God. I, I, do you know loving what? I've life. had no loving issue it, with this. Loving it. I've had no issue with not having to deal with people. Yeah. Cabin fever. No, you have me not. <laughs> I, I like my cabin. Yeah, no, exactly. She's, uh, yeah, like I said, she's an old 37-year-old hermit. Um, we come nothing full wrong with that. We come full circle. But on the second half of this show, we're going to be talking about something that is very dear to our hearts. Food! Yeah, kawano. What do you call Kana. it? Kana. And is it being culturally appropriated? See you on the other side, people. the second half of the native immigrants i'm swami barakas and i'm jojo beat and on this half of the show it's all about food glorious food it is indeedy 
So we could talk about food pretty much for days, Jojo B. Uh, we're both food. foodies. Uh, we, you know, fell in love through food. Yes. So they say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Yes. So I fed you. Yes. And I married you. Yes. Um, but, you know, I think when we discuss food, you can we can rub it on about what our favorite foods are and foods we don't like much at all and, you know, stuff that we've had through our childhood and all this kind of bullshit. Things but, that you wouldn't really be interested in. Exactly. Um but what we really want to discuss and look at is the cultural appropriation of food. Hmm. Does it exist or are we just talking nonsense? We're just being sensitive. Um, the, the, we've spoken before about cultural appropriation and stroke exploitation uh, on things like fashion, uh, etc., on previous shows, um, mm -hmm. food, we've kind of, I guess we touched on it. We haven't really discussed it at length, uh, whether our foods, South Asian foods is what we're going to be discussing, I guess, primarily today, because yeah. we could talk about the global appropriation of food in the different ways mm -hmm. that it's basically been bastardized in places all over the world but we could pizza be in america <laughs> yeah let's be specific you know uh, tacos you know, in america yeah well yeah everything that's entered the american food market has pretty much been mass mainstream you know in a way in yes. that it's completely lost its authenticity yes. um specifically like you said mexican food um italian food uh, all over the world has just been just completely vandalized in so many different ways um and Indian food. well this is what we're going to discuss today mm -hmm. um i think from a, our perspectives and is culture appropriation a thing when we talk about food as well mm -hmm. or are we living in a in a society and a life now where our communities are so mixed society is so mixed that food then ends up becoming part of that same fabric. It just becomes just a part of a mixed society. So it doesn't really matter either way. But kind of, there's a part of it that belongs to everyone. Yes. Lead this then, Jojo B. I will lead this. So the, the, the reason we're talking about this in the first place is because I came across an Instagram post the other day that really got me thinking. Mm. It was about veganism right. and what it means. So it was talking about, yes, we want to reduce the amount of meat we eat mm. um, because it's bad for the environment. But what does veganism mean for the environment in terms of sustainability? Um, there has been, and in this post, this is how, I'll paraphrase, but this is kind of how it was uh, phrased, was that the global north, mm. so the north of the planet, yep. has discovered, shall we say, yeah. I'm doing air quotes, yeah. you know, has discovered all of these foods that belong to the global south. Mm. Things like uh, uh, palm oil and uh, avocados yeah. and all those kinds of things that kind of belonged and were used sustainably within cultures yeah. are now being mass marketed. Tofu, yeah. you know, things like that, that are now having to be mass produced to yeah. meet this demand because veganism is growing, vegetarianism is growing. Um, Healthier lifestyle in general. Yeah, people just kind of generally big. cutting down on their meat consumption. And so what does that mean? Now we've seen the pictures of those horrific, 
of those orangutans yeah clinging on to their habitat yeah, because it's being yeah because it's being destroyed for palm trees to make palm oil yeah and there's Mexican cartels that are running the trade in avocados. I didn't even know this. this yeah, I was today years old when I found out about that yeah, shit. So avocados are so, you know, profitable mm. that now gangsters are running this trade. Man's getting clapped for avocados, fam. This is in- insane. Yeah. You know, so things like this are happening around the world. And it's because of this kind of new demand from the West or from the global North, however you want to pro- however you want to phrase it and um and so it got me thinking like what's similar that's happening in south asia mm. and the first thing that came to mind was like i i don't know if you've noticed this but i have noticed that there's a massive demand for himalayan salt right himalayan salt lamps lamps made out of a big chunk of salt because that will then give your room better vibes and it will make you feel better. Okay. And now Himalayan salt is known to be full of minerals. Mm. It's taken 800 million years for this salt to be made. Right. In the Himalayas. So it's taken its time. Yeah. Hmm. Now there's, um, if you've ever heard of black salt, Kala Loon, Kala Namak, whatever you want to call it, that's also made out of Himalayan salt. Yeah. Um, and it goes through a process and it kind of creates that kind of sulfurous, eggy smell. Yeah, the sin of bunny and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, so some people have started using that. Vegans have started using that as a kind of replacement for that um, eggy taste. Yeah. Um, so you can add that and then you kind of get, like if you make a tofu omelette or something, I don't know, you add that <laughs> in it. Gives, it gives, yeah, it gives you that kind of sense of smell. Yeah. Um, and... Also, pink Himalayan salt is being used because of its health properties and because of these bloody lamps that are like all over Amazon, if you yeah. ever have a look at them. And they apparently have these healing properties that if you light one next to you, that it's like it's good for you and stuff. Um, and I just thought, what is that doing to the Himalayas? Mm, yeah. No, we have a bit of pink salt in our kitchen. And when I bought it, I didn't really think about it. And afterwards, I looked at the label and I was like, these come from the Himalayas. They come from mountains. Mm, yeah. Now, these mountains are being mined. Mines are not good for the environment. You know? <laughs> yeah. They're just not. No shit. And then you think about how the fact that it took 800 million years for this salt to be formed. Mm. That's why it's full of minerals. And now we're mining it. That's not going to grow. That's not going to grow again. It's not like a yeah, plant yeah. that will grow. It is a finite amount of yeah, salt. exactly. It's like, it's non-renewable. Mm. Once it's gone, it's gone. Exactly. And there's this huge global demand for it. So it will be gone soon. Yeah, of course. Now, we in India and South Asia in general, they've used a black salt for centuries. And it's, it's but it's used within that one area. It's local. Yeah. It's a local produce. We have salt here. Hmm. We have salt. We're an island. Yeah. We can make sea salt. Yeah, exactly. We do make sea salt. We make really good, the best sea salt in the world, Malden Sea Flakes. And why are we then still demanding this Himalayan rock salt? Yeah, there's always, um, when things get influenced by the right people and people in the know, if like, the most influential person that's uh, promoting a healthy lifestyle tells you that Himalayan salt is now the way forward to instill a much healthier lifestyle uh then people were going to jump on it now see this is the thing someone's told someone 
yeah. that this is good for you? Who told you? <laughs> Was it an Asian? I don't think so. Mm. I, I doubt it very, very much. I reckon it was probably someone a bit like Gwyneth Paltrow, if not her, <laughs> someone like her. Yeah, yeah. Now, so then is that cultural appropriation? They're taking some of our, something that is so precious yeah. and comes from a specific region, South Asia. Right. And it is then being taken, mass produced, mass marketed. Hmm. And then on a, on a massive scale is being mined now. Doing untold damage to yeah. the environment, to the Himalayas, to whichever animals probably live around those areas. Yeah. And the people who might live around those areas, I'm not sure how far up these mines are, but there'll be local, you know, people that live around there. Mm. It just, it kind of blew my mind. And so then that's when I got onto the idea of cultural appropriation of food in general. Yeah. You know, people are taking our food and they are making money off it. How much of that money goes back to those areas to the motherland mm, yeah and what does that mean does we lose that do people think about the fact that it comes from the himalayas when they say himalayan rock salt lamps yeah, yeah. do you think about the fact that it is from the himalayas and where the himalayas are is this a appropriation or is it appreciation of what the himalayas and the south asian lands have to offer mm. i don't know yeah, I think I think when it comes to um, things like this, like avocados and palm oil and uh, Himalayan salt, I, I don't see that as appropriation as such, because they're you know specific produce. Like you know, we uh, South Asians import a lot of stuff from all over the world for our cuisines. The same way South Americans do it from all over the world for their cuisines. A lot of the stuff is also grown locally as well. But then, you know, to, to get authenticity, we get a lot of produce from countries around the world. You know, we, we, talk, about, we talk about fruit and some, one of my favorite fruits is mango. And, you know, the best places in the world that um, produce mangoes are South Asian countries, India and Pakistan. Mm. And so... If I wanted to have a mango and it wasn't produced locally, do I then just deprive myself of not having a mango ever again? No. We have to get these things and they have to be brought all across the world so everyone's got um, accessibility to the best produce around the world. I don't see that as appropriation. Appropriation for me is when uh, cuisines are gone across different parts of the world and then they're all of a sudden like, you know, mass produced you know put into chain restaurants and then all of a sudden you just lose the you know the identity of this cuisine and mm. i think when it comes to food identity is really important for me because our cuisines are our identity mm -hmm. and so you know the things like you know like in this country specifically you know curry is like looked at as this national dish now you and i both know that curry is not something that was you know originated here it was something originated in south asia uh and you know you have the you know what grinds my gears sometimes is the fact that you will have images of like far-right demonstrations of people telling us to get the fuck back home but then they'll still go out on a friday night to have a curry and they don't link the two different uh you know aspects of you know our culture together mm. and so you know so that's what i find i guess the most 
you know, bewildering. And I guess that's more the when it comes to a culture appropriation is when you have our cuisine that was mixed with a British way of a British palate, I guess, mm. uh, and then formulate it into a whole new dish that loses its authenticity. Now, where I'm conflicted is that our own communities and our own culture does exactly the same thing. Like I, I'm sitting here completely two-faced because my favorite food in the whole world is chili paneer. Now, mm. chili paneer is uh, very much uh, a fusion dish as Indo-Chinese. I don't even know if Indo-Chinese is a thing. But it's Hakka Chinese, wasn't it? So yeah, it's, yeah, Indo-Chinese, it's, it's the Chinese in, population that moved to India and brought their cuisine and mixed yeah. it with the Indian cuisine. So yeah. It kind of became an Indian palate. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that, that's my favourite food in the whole world. And, and are we, have or have we not culturally appropriated Chinese cuisine by introducing their style of cooking into one of our ingredients and turn it to a whole new dish? And that's exactly what we could be sitting here complaining about when it comes to a chicken tikka masala or a vindaloo. Vindaloo is an authentic dish. Yeah, fair play. I think there's that fine line, isn't there, between the appropriation of food and the kind of bastardization of food hmm. and then the fusion of two cultures hmm. so the mixture so we i mean i grew up eating turkey ale bean yeah exactly you know that's baked beans with a turka yeah and that we because we used to have like and that's with like indian spices and things for those people turka, yeah it's like a kind of onion based onions chili spices and then you pour the tin of beans on top yeah. and you have it with your English breakfast. And that's what we used to do at home. We used to have a I full I think many English. people did the same. Yeah. And I bloody love it. And so I can't imagine not having that. I can't. But then I think from my point of view, we are imbuing some food with some taste. <laughs> <laughs> right? This yeah. is extra flavors of home basically now britain is my home but i mean as in like motherland kind of the food that i grew up with mm. um which is i think probably the biggest tie for me to india is the food yeah exactly 100%. and i think that's why we get very passionate about it as well because we are second generation growing up in this country and we don't have that direct link that our parents have nope but yet we still have a link Yes. We have still been brought up in Asian households, in Indian households in our cases. And so the link, the main link for me was food. Yes. We're not a religious family, really, mine. So I don't have that heavy link yeah. to that side of my culture. But I do have this very, very strong link with the food that my family make. And, you know, I have Indonesian influence. We used to make Indonesian food. I have a tie to that country. I've never been to Indonesia. I, you know, it's generations that ago that we lived in Indonesia, but we still have that tie. Yeah. And it will probably go with me because I don't know how I'll pass that on. Yeah. But that's really important to me, as is my obvious Indian Food, when I go to India or when I think about my trips to India, the food is probably one of the main things that I think about yeah. aside from my family. But even then with my family is sitting around eating together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think that's why we get very passionate about it. And when people start to, um, and by people I mean like corporations and, you know, people who don't 
people who haven't grown up with that yeah I yeah. think and they they do things and they do it slightly differently and we all get very angry about it you know like Jamie Oliver's tried making biryanis tried making jollof rice there's been an outcry because they're like who is he to do this? Yeah, yeah. There are a million people. All our mums can do it better. Why don't you ask one of them? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know. And I think that's why we get so passionate about it. And that's where the idea of the appropriation comes from. Because we can do it better. Or so we believe. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. But you know, at the same time, to play devil's advocate, we can't promote, push and emphasize that we've come from two different cultures. We've come from our British culture as well as our South Asian culture. Mm. And so we, you know, when we try to talk about integration and immersion and assimilation with these two cultures, mm. we can't then start to distance our cuisines apart. But like we can sit here and act British, talk British with it, with also retaining our South Asian roots but then oh but our foods can't mix together because then that's that's wrong that kind of goes against the ethos of exactly what us being British Asian is all about I don't think there's a problem with mixing it and I don't think there's a problem of fusing it in a good way if it's done properly <laughs> but I don't what I think you need to have is an understanding of that food so you need to understand mm. the Indian food yeah and then you can start to mess with it. Hmm. Now we mess with it quite a lot in our households. We play around with flavors and we do things, but that's because we have an understanding, we have a grounding yeah. in that original food. Yeah, absolutely. Now I think it's when you start to play around with something you don't understand or you don't appreciate. Yeah, yeah. There and you think that you're improving it. Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. Rather than adapting or playing around and just having an experiment, if you think that you're actually improving it without understanding the original food, yeah, yeah, then I think there's a problem, and that is appropriation. Yeah. Then, and I think that's what you have to fight back against. And that's what someone like Asma Khan, when she goes onto TV, yeah. she will always talk about the origin of the food because she understands that the British Asian food scene has become very mixed up yeah. where people don't know don't remember the origins mm. they don't see where one starts and the other ends if you know what i mean like yeah, it's just absolutely. confusion and she and so the people are thinking that this is authentic indian food you go to india you will not see yeah those that. dishes yeah of course of course now she will make a gorma and she will make it properly mm. and it looks nothing like that creamy mess that you would get in your local curry house yeah on Friday exactly night. like yeah. i was like even for me i was like oh yeah it's different <laughs> you <laughs> know but this is a mughlai dish that's come and she and she explains the origins of that yeah and so India's been invaded many, many times. Yeah. And it's taken on the food of its invaders. Yeah, of course. And um it's made it its own. And I think that's when you do it successfully, when it becomes part of the fabric of your culture yes. and of your country. But you still have to understand the origins of it. And I think in India you do because you understand the history. They get taught the history. Hmm. Here, I think it doesn't so much get taught. And so, and and because we're still living through that kind of mixing that's happening. Yeah, yeah we're still in that transition for me. The, yeah, the, the and the mixing's been happening for a long time. Where do you think coronation chicken comes from? Yeah. I mean, half of those are Indian spices. Mm, yeah, absolutely. You know, and various other, mulligatoni, I can never say that properly, mulligatoni soup. <laughs> and all of that, that's all, you know, 
what the British thought Indian food was. Yeah, yeah, for a long time. You know, or it was catering to their palate while they were living in India as colonizers. Yeah. And they brought it back to Britain. And I just think that in this day and age, there's no excuse to not try to at least understand the origins of the food because the information is at our fingertips. It's so readily available, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's like us understanding that actually chilies didn't happen in India. They weren't there in, the, in South Asia mm. until the Portuguese brought them with them. Yeah, exactly. The Portuguese came to India, they brought chilies because they mm. traded with the Spanish who got them from Mexico. Chilies are Mexican. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you yeah, know? Absolutely. And otherwise we were cooking with black pepper because that's what we had. <laughs> so true. And And so there are ways of kind of fusing and evolving cuisines mm. without it being that we have forgotten our origins or we have forgotten that there are two cuisines in this case in Brit British food and Asian food yeah. coming together and creating something that actually I quite like chicken tikka masala doesn't offend me I quite like the taste of it mm, no of course yeah you know it tastes good it's not authentic it's fine but when it's done right it's good well, that's the thing. When something is done right, uh, you know, and, and I think that's when you start to toe the line in terms of the rights and the wrongs, you know, the things that do work and the things that don't. And what works with us culturally as well? You know, what are we OK with as a community with uh, certain, you know, cuisines that are pushed out into the market? And, and I know something that comes to mind straight away when talking about big no-nos is... Marks and Spencer's doing that vegan biryani wrap um, <laughs> as part of their kind of lunchtime menu. The like uh, Indian thing. burrito, basically. Well, yeah, you know, but marketing it as a biryani wrap um, when when you and I both know that biryanis are something that never should be put into any kind of bread based. Yeah, um, and it massive would probably massively offend Mexicans as well. Yeah. You know, that's not a burrito. So <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's just. I think someone just thought, oh, look, there's a burrito. It's got rice in it. Mm. There's some really tasty Indian rice. Oh, maybe we can do something here. Let's yeah. just, you know, like you can just, I can just imagine sitting in one of those kind of brainstorming meetings. I've been in those kind of brainstorming meetings and you're just like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But someone said, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it's that these things get passed off, you know, and this comes back to the whole having people in the right, decision-making rooms and in mm. the boardrooms and stuff to you know or even to be consulted properly about these things because i'm i'm sure when these kind of meetings were taking place you know how many of these people had consulted chefs south asian chefs you know people with a real uh, grasp of the authenticity of these cuisines you know i think actually a lot of the supermarkets are getting better when it comes to their asian ranges that they do go and consult with south asian chefs and and cooks yeah however i think the back of their mind is that they must it must be mass marketed so it cannot be too spicy mm -hmm. it has to be something that is familiar hmm. you know and and so it will never be something that kind of takes you too far down the authentic road yeah. but you know we've tried some of this stuff ourselves on our lazy days and i couldn't be bothered to cook yeah and some of it's not bad. Some of it's awful. Yeah, no, of course. But some good. of it's not too bad. And if you think back to the days, you know, I've watched these programs where like apparently in the 60s and 70s, they used to have these like frozen curries that used to have 
all sorts of bullshit in like pineapple and sultanas and things like that. Things that you just wouldn't be in an Indian curry. Yeah, yeah. And then they would pass it off as like curry. Yeah, exactly. And people would eat it. And so the, but they, we've I come can, a long that, way yeah, absolutely. in they didn't that know time. Any better. You know, yeah. At the time, they didn't know any better, but we've come a long way since then. And I, I do actually feel that palettes are changing. Palettes are constantly changing. I, I know lots of people, non-Asian people, that only want authenticity when it comes to curries and Indian cuisine. And so they'll prefer to go to... Um, the kind of restaurants that we'd eat at, basically, yeah. you know, for our food. Look at the popularity of Dishoom. Now, Dishoom makes fairly authentic Indian food. We've both eaten there. Yeah, and that's Darjeeling Express. Darjeeling Express, yeah. yeah, the same. You know, there's and and these places are extremely popular and there's queues outside both of them because I feel that now there's a, a constant involvement of people wanting authentic Indian cuisine and they're not going to get that at your local curry houses on a Friday night. You can only get it at places where you'll see other Asians dine. That's true. Atul Kocha started, has um, opened a new restaurant uh, called Ganishka. And that is focused mainly on the food of the northeast of India. Hmm. So places like Orissa, where you you wouldn't necessarily think of that region's cuisine. Yeah as um, being Michelin-starred food or widely available or appealing to the mass market in Britain. Mm. But here he is saying, no, you know what, I'm going to champion a part of India that gets overlooked but actually has some really good food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and um, that's it's good. It's true that our palates are com- constantly evolving and, and the British palate is now much more open and I think that's a lot to do with travel. Yeah, exactly. And they are trying to understand and they are trying to appreciate, which is good. Um, here's a question for you, talking about restaurants. Is it okay for someone who's of the who's not of the culture, so mm. in the, in our case, not of a South Asian background, yeah. to be considered an expert in South hmm. Asian food? What would you say to that if you saw someone who was white? Yeah. Or black, who said that they were an expert in Indian food. Right. So we've seen previously on shows like, I know MasterChef uh, and some of these shows uh, where you'll have an expert opinion um, from one of the guys uh, and it'll clearly be a, a South Asian based dish that's been made and they'll critique it and then say, you know, I'm not getting this and I'm not getting this and stuff. And it, it will probably be made by someone who's of South Asian descent. Mm. And so, you know, the question is almost like, who are you to tell me what my food tastes like or not? I think I think the biggest and most celebrated chefs in the world, I feel, would have uh, enough of a repertoire to have an opinion on certain cuisines from around the world Mm -hmm. but in order to really critique it i feel like you would have needed to at least have been like a head chef at uh you know like a south asian based restaurant where most of the staff were of a south asian background or at least like have have traveled to one of the south asian countries and and worked there immersed themselves within that the culture and the cuisine enough for a long period of time um, to then be able to to dictate, you know, certain things that are right and wrong 
about you know a, a dish that's been presented in front of them that's from that that cuisine um you know because it's it's uh, it's the authenticity part of it how how do we determine who's an expert in south asian cuisine you know from someone that's not south asian i'd like to think it's it's someone that's basically either immersed themselves within that culture to to be able to have that authentic background um because otherwise any old ton dick and harry can say yeah I, I don't like the taste of that doesn't that doesn't taste like you know um saga alu or something you know but unless you're someone that's properly like have a full grip and grasp of that cuisine how are you able to tell me what's right and wrong but when's enough how do we say you've been in a, immersed enough hmm for you to know about the cuisine of my motherland. <laughs> How do you know? Because, I mean, like, we are no experts. We might know, so I might know Punjabi cuisine. Mm. But again, I'm not an expert in all of the food of Punjab. Yeah, yeah. I know what we make at home. Mm, exactly. In the same way that you know the Gujarati food and the East African Gujarati food that you eat at home. Yeah. Yeah. So we are not experts ourselves. All, all of these things are very subjective. But it's kind of ingrained in us. It's part of us. Mm. The spices run in our blood. <laughs> right? right? And so how, and it's it's such a massive part of our culture and it's the way that we've been brought up. Yeah. And, you know, and like, I mean, like countless other households, Indian households or Asian households will remember, you know, the ladies sit standing around making samosa together, yeah. gossiping. Like it's so, it's so kind of important and so ingrained within our memory and our childhood and our and just the way we've been brought up. When is enough for someone who hasn't had any of that? Mm, yeah, to yeah. then come along and say, "I've got an interest in this," yeah, uh, or just happen to have just got their start at an Indian restaurant, perhaps. Yeah, and so they've learned some stuff. Mm. When is enough? See, that like, I look at someone like, for instance, I can't think of an example of of someone like that within the like Indian food scene. But if you think of someone like Thomasina Myers, who opened Oaxaca, yeah. which is now a chain. We like eating that food because there's no real authentic Mexican food in this country anyway. Yeah. But like, so this is the nearest we got. We don't, we're not, we aren't experts. We're not Mexican. Yeah, so we exactly. can't say, I can say I enjoy eating that food. But I wonder how a Mexican person would feel about this lady from some, probably somewhere in the home counties. I don't really know her background. But like going to Mexico, having a real interest and a real love yeah, yeah. for Mexican cuisine and culture. There's yeah. no denying that. But then bringing it over here and making money off it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wonder how many Mexicans she actually has in her kitchens. Mm, true, very, very true. You know, in the same way that like Gordon Ramsay has a Chinese restaurant. Yeah. I don't think he has very many Chinese chefs in that kitchen. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so. Or you could look at someone like, you know, Tony Singh, all right, who's had a background in French cuisine uh, as part of his um you know, it's history. classical training. So you go to any of these, you know, chef schools and that's 
the basis of most of those those schools is, yeah. is classical french training yeah yeah so you know you could you could ask the same of a french person you know seeing an, a south asian man cooking their food it that's the thing it's like we're so mixed now with our cultures and uh you know travel and importing and exporting is not just produce it's also communities and people and mm. so there is going to be like elements of fusion and things being mixed etc it's a but it's a i think it always boils down to that ode to the authenticity the ode to the originality of these cuisines i think which is the which is the bigger problem which is the bigger issue I don't want to hear about another um, advert for what is a samosa being advertised as a triangle stuffed pastry. Or, <laughs> you know, I just, we were just talking just now about um, uh, a, a website in Malaysia, I believe, mm. and they've called Bronte Asian flat croissants. This is what I mean. We've, we've already spoken previously about, you know, chai tea and naan bread. And I think it, it does come back to the, you know, the acknowledgement of these cuisines and the, the correct pronunciations, the correct way of addressing them. Uh, you know, we've, we've integrated into this country for so long now. And I think when it comes to cultural appropriation and, and or stroke fusion, uh, the real like solution, the answer to it is, to at least have an acknowledgement of where these things have come from and address them as they're properly called, you know, because we've done the same with cuisines all around the world. We'll still call a coq au vin, like, you know, a coq au vin. We wouldn't say chicken with wine or something. Chicken and wine. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know. So, you know, I just like to feel that the same would apply to, to our cuisines and our culture. Yeah, I think so. And I think, yeah, it's that as I said earlier on, it's just that having that understanding of the basics of that cuisine. So if you understand the fundamentals, mm. that's when you can start messing with it afterwards. It's like with anything, if it with anything to do with cooking, if you understand the main bit of it, like the main fundamental bits, yeah, then you can start experimenting beyond that. But it's un also understanding what those dishes can mean to somebody yeah. and to a people. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. so there are certain dishes that will really it will bring people together from a certain culture. Yeah. If you start messing with that, for instance, biryani, yeah. if you start messing with that, you will get a backlash. Yeah, of course. Because you have not understood what that particular dish means yeah. to a nation. Of course. And I think that's that's just the thing that I would like to see is people just bearing that kind of thing in mind and, and, and just having some kind of um, cultural understanding and just being a bit careful with the fact that we love this stuff. Yeah, like I said, food is so ingrained with our identity. They almost go hand in hand. When we talk about Indian people, Indian communities, Indian food, Indian music, you know, it's these are all fundamental parts that make up the DNA of who we are as a culture and as a community. And I feel that in order to um, understand that better um, and get a more of a grasp of what that is, is doing your research, doing your knowledge, you know, speaking to people. And knowing that we are not homogenous in a cuisine. Yeah. Each state has their own 
ways of making of things, course. their own, you know, dishes that are specific to that state. Um, each country from South Asia has things that will be like, they'll have dishes that that are really championed mm. within those countries. And so we need to understand that, you know, like South Indian food is different to North Indian food. Punjabi food is different to Gujarati food. That kind of thing that Sri Lankan food is completely different to Nepalese food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just have to understand that there's so much diversity within South Asia. And I think sometimes we just get summed up with tikka masala, butter yeah. chicken. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's just those kind of dishes. And they are not, they are not dishes that are necessarily native to all of the people of India. Of course, yeah. Um, and we have such a great, great history of food. We have such a great, you know, plethora of food that we can eat from all different states yeah. and all different parts of India that and South Asia that I think that just needs to be appreciated more. We're yeah. not just Indian cuisine. Yeah, exactly. And we're not just, you know, like a, a curry house. Yeah. Absolutely. There's more to us than that. That sums it all up perfectly. Uh, let us know your thoughts. What are your thoughts on South Asian cuisine? Is it being culturally appropriated? Is, is a produce being culturally appropriated or is it the cuisine itself? And Or are you into the whole fusion thing and whether that's actually the way forward for us to you know, integrate both of our communities together. You know, let us know. Let us know your thoughts. Follow us on all our social media platforms at Native Immigrants Single M on Twitter and at the Native Immigrants Podcast on Instagram. And obviously give us a rating and review on iTunes and we will shout you out in our next episode. Well, that is it from this week on the Native Immigrants. We'll be back next week for more of the same. I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. And we'll see you all then, people. Peace. Peace.